Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier digital art platform. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating beautiful art. Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Collector's Corner. My name is P. I am one of your hosts. I'm joined by my friend Jared, my co-host and of the 8NAP Fund. And I'm going to introduce our guest really fast and then throw it over to Jared and then throw it over to you, Daniel. I'm crazy excited. We have the fantastic, the nicest person in gen art. Sorry to all the other nice people, but I'm I'm claiming you this. We have Daniel Calderon Arenas with here, us here today, who is is many things and, and we'll get to that. But let me quickly hop over to you, Jared. How are you doing today? Doing good. Just been uh, crazy busy trying to get the foundation and all the the right protocols in place for the fund. So just all that monotonous stuff, not uh, not trading, not buying, just just building and trying to execute, my man. Same here. Same here. We are building here at Collector's Corner. And that's why we are so, so, so excited to have you here with us today, Daniel. And I'll, I'm going to do a little quick mini intro. So Daniel is a generative artist. He has a, uh, I should know this, the first, I believe, the very first Art Blocks long-form collection, Genesis, that he created. In addition to that, he has two more Art Blocks playgrounds and then three more collections that we're going to cover. Bosque de Chapultepec, can I say it correctly? I'm sorry. Marfa Yuka and Really Random Rock which are all super cool. So rather than doing a deep dive into one of your collections, we wanted to cover a lot of them. And also for folks who may not know, Daniel is uh, Eric Snowfro Calderon's brother, which puts him in a really interesting perspective on the industry, how it's evolved and where it might be going. So looking forward to hearing all of that as well. How are you today, Daniel? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, uh, excited to be here. Excited to talk about art about some projects, about anything really. So, uh, yeah. Oh man, we're so excited too. And I, I got to tell folks, I'm sorry if I might embarrass you a little bit, but Daniel is, is amazing. So I was hanging out with my friend Zero X Cosmo, who, you know, we were hanging out in Mexico City a week before, I believe he had just met you and you guys were like fast friends and we were hanging out at the Bright Moments event. You let everybody come and sit with your mint. It was it was so cool. It was such a nice experience, such a nice space. It, it felt like being in a park and it just, you know, it, it's one of the things I love about the space, but people like you who are so talented yet approachable, kind, just like great humans. So I thank you for coming. Thank you for being willing to share this with the audience. And yeah, I, I, I guess I'll, 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 just, I'll just jump right in. You do so many things. You're generative artist teacher how did you get into coding and art in the first place oh man okay so well to begin with my grandfather was a painter uh in the i guess in the 80s he lived in mexico city and he um he was painting just oil paints using a knife like there's like a technique called knife painting and um something he learned in paris actually when he was younger he visited paris and uh like met some street artists there and um they sort of taught him these like street art techniques and whatnot. And so he came back to Mexico city and started painting. And like, I, like, I think that's what sort of like put art into like our, our, our family, I think, you know, because um, 
he literally uh, was like sort of like a bohemian type of artist that traveled around and just kind of lived off of the paintings that he would sell. So growing up, I, I, I was surrounded by those works. Uh, they, they were on the walls of my, you know, my parents' house. But when I go to my uncle's house, he would have paintings there too. And when I'd go to uh, Mexico and visit family, like I would see his paintings there too. And so like his paintings were everywhere and, and they're very, very particular. Like they have a very particular style, um, very identifiable. And, uh, and, I th and I think they just, they, they made an impression on me. I think they made an impression on everyone in our family, including my father, who, you know, he's kind of like the opposite of art or, or of artists. He's a businessman. And, um, but just like growing up, we, we had that. And, and I think that that sort of subconsciously plays a role. And while I became an artist, I started, uh, just drawing as a young kid, you know, just in sketchbooks and whatnot. And then, um, just later on, I, I always wanted to go to art school. My parents didn't really want me to go to art school. So I studied economics in college, got a degree in economics. And then when I realized that all I could do really with that is work at a bank, I thought, okay, now I'm going back to study art. So I went and studied sculpture uh, in undergrad. I went and got my master's degree in sculpture. So that's kind of how I got into art. And, and I've always kind of dabbled with stuff. You know, I've painted, I've, I've made when i was younger hanging out with friends and stuff uh you know i'd make my own canvases stretch them and gesso them and paint just wild wacky shit on them you know we played with spray paint and stuff just kind of messing around with art but I never really took it seriously uh until i studied it in school and decided to make a career out of it so like during that time you know there's a lot going on with computers i kind of knew i knew how to code my own websites just html css php type stuff but never really did much with that. Um, I found interest in um, Arduinos, you know, like Arduinos were a thing about 15, eight, maybe like 15 to 20 years ago. Uh, I can't even, my dates are probably wrong, but um, 2007, 2008 or so, uh, I was playing with Arduinos and just learned to code through that. Like I, I learned through like the Arduino IDE, how to control LED lights and make them change colors. And I started playing with like little wooden boxes and making lamps out of them with like rice paper and like LEDs inside and like kind of making gradients between them. And that was like so long ago and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of messing around, you know, in my bedroom, like playing with stuff. And then connecting processing to Arduino was a thing, right? So like, how do I control these LED lights using like an interface on my computer? So I learned uh, processing like at that time and just kind of barely dabbled with it. Um, it. Probably wasn't like until four or five years later, I started like kind of getting into uh, just like the thought of, oh, maybe I can make my own game, you know, like using code or whatever. So I started playing with like some just out of the box, uh, like packages like Stencil. There's this thing called Stencil. It's basically like, a, it's like Scratch, like uh, user interface, like click and drag blocks together to build like code, I guess little algorithms. And it's really designed for making games. So I, I spent like a year just messing around with that. I made some funky little games and whatnot. And then at that time, that's like when the shitcoin era was happening. So that was like 2017 or so. And then like very soon after that, I realized that there's more to processing than I knew before. And everything I learned with these drag and drop interface sort of coding environments, like that was basically just like coding, you know, just written out code. And so I, I quickly made the connection between 
uh, like what a loop was in a scratch-like environment to like what a loop was like written out in JavaScript or uh, I mean uh, Java. So I picked up processing a lot better and uh, when I returned to it and I started messing around and I finally wrapped my mind around object-oriented programming type approaches. And so um, like started playing with that and before I knew it, I was like, okay, well, I can definitely make interesting kind of visual things with this. And that led to, you know, just like the very precursor to project, the Genesis project. That's how I got into coding. It's, it's, I never studied uh, computer science. You know, I didn't go any uh, academic route to that. I just, just learned from YouTube videos, learned from uh, like forums and asking questions and uh, just reading like other people's responses and just kind of, you know, like bumping into walls all the time and being like, well, how am I going to solve this? Right. And spending three hours solving a really simple problem. I think that's really cool that, you know, your experience, uh, you know, while having a, a deeply vested interest in art, you know, I love the analogy of bumping off of walls, you know, we're, we, we're part of Grailers, which is a gen art discord group, but there's a couple aspiring artists there who there's a ton of art, artists already, but also I'll call it collectors who are, you know, really you know, from my perspective, starting to see uh, a similar journey where they're they're dabbling and bumping off walls, and it's really starting to to get their you know what I will call sea legs underneath them. And I think it's mm. you know it, it's cool to reflect on you know where here we are, almost actually the two year anniversary of Art Blocks. You know, two years after your initial release, which we'll get into, and it 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 feels like you're so established, and yet to have that little bit of vulnerability allows others to see that, you know, with a, with some persistence and, and dedication to the craft, like really amazing things are, are possible. Now, obviously your first drop was on, you know, art blocks day zero, which is amazing uh, from a historical perspective. What gave you the conviction ultimately to, to pivot your art from, you know, we talked off cameras, spray paints and, you know, coding Mm -hmm. to, to really this digital NFT space? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I, 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 I studied sculpture, you know, so I'm, I'm used to working with traditional materials, plaster and wood, you know, something totally non-digital. Like even in, in college when I was getting my degree, like professors there would be like, well, we're not really interested in computers as much. Like we want to know what computers can't do know like what you can do with your hands like there wasn't like a lot of support for like the digital uh at least at the university that i was at and so i I just felt like like my interests were already in the digital space so like i think the pivot was was rather easy for me because you know art blocks sort of happened and and a lot of my attention just immediately turned to that Uh, like how do i put my best like in in this format like how do i take all my energy that's being wasted in in other areas and how do I bring it all into like this digital sort of realm where where the action is where the collectors are where where the appreciation is where you know where where things are happening like you know like the history I guess you could say is being made like you know so for me it was pretty much a no-brainer like I can continue playing with plaster and wood and and I still do like I still make uh, physical objects every now and then Um, I do a lot of mold making like and also a lot of 3D printing and digital fabrication type stuff. Uh, I teach those courses in, at, at uh, the University of Houston. But but at the same time, uh, you know, like I think the the magic is happening in um, in code, and it's happening 
you know, making algorithms to produce generative additions. Like that's really where it's at. And not only is that like an exciting place because of all the collectorship and, and all of the um, activity around it, but there's also like something like in, I think inside of, of me and, and other artists that I, I feel like this is a very, a very pure form of expression you know, like if you look at the history of art, like artists over the you know the past hundreds of years have been expressing in iterative formats. I mean, take any any famous artist today is basically making you know variations of their particular style of art that have very you know very small variations between each painting, and and that's basically they're iterating, but they're doing it at a very slow pace because traditional art does it very slow, right? The magic here is that you know we can, as artists, we can still uh, work under the same mental stream, but we can do it in a super accelerated pace. We can literally, you know, preview something with in every possible color, you know, by clicking one button. Right, you click a button and you get a thousand outputs that are all variations with just slight color differences. Imagine trying to do that physically, and for me, like working with plaster and sculpture and things like that, like it might take me, you know, like a couple of days to, to sculpt the nose on a, on a portrait. And if I want to change like the size of the nostrils or something, right, I have to like chip away stuff and I have to rebuild it. It's like just a tiny little change in a physical artwork could take days. Whereas like, you know, 10,000 changes on a digital artwork can be done in less than a second. Right. So like the iterability and, and like the ability to explore using generative art is like just it's like hyperspeed. And um and and it's and I think that's where the excitement is for me, like as an artist, is like I want to be able to explore and I want to navigate this space and see what's in it. And and so like for me, that pivot was really just really like a no-brainer. Like I have to kind of explore more of this right now, especially because the support is there, there's the artist community is there. Like, you know, there's artists all around now. They're, they're all in Discord. They're all just, a, you know, like one message away, like one private message away. And and everyone's so open. And like, the, like the, that just wasn't around in the in the traditional space as much. Like we're in the traditional space, like artists are a little bit more, I don't know, you could say that there's, they're more protective of their ideas and, and they're a little bit jealous of each other. And like the opportunities are very few and far between. And so it's highly competitive and, there's like a lack of trust that if you if you share your ideas with another sculptor or another painter, they're going to steal those ideas and they're going to you know capitalize on them and and run with them. And yeah, sure that can happen in like the digital space too. But you know the 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 the, the playing field is so ample here, like it's so wide that, that it's okay if that happens because there's so much more to explore. That, that that definitely resonates with me, and we felt similarly when thinking about Collector's Corner. Is that there's this is an exciting space. The caliber of people is fantastic. The culture is really supportive and helpful and open, and it feels like there's just so many things that need to be built out for this world that has touched us that we want to go and contribute. It's like okay, let, let's let's hop in. There's so many things that can be done, and. So I completely agree and resonate, especially me coming uh, not from an art background at all, or really uh, a podcasting background at all. But I, you know, what, what was it like back then? I, you know, I have to ask you because, you know, when you were about to launch Genesis or maybe when you decided that you were going to do it, I'm sure, of course, uh, Eric, like nudged you towards it, but 
was it already obvious by then that this was going to be a thing? And if so, when when did you did it kind of click for you? You made that decision. Okay, I'm gonna just focus on this at least see where it goes. Oh, it definitely was not obvious. You know, Eric had the idea for our flux. I mean, I, I would say like two years prior. And back then, it, everything was so new, really hard to understand. Just because, like, I didn't understand what NFTs were. You know, like I hardly knew what MetaMask was or how to interact with things, you know, I, like crypto kitties were like my first entry into this whole space. And, um, and did you get a kitty? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I got a whole bunch of them, but they've been sitting in my wallet you know, ever since. And I've never like really bred them too much, but, uh, but you know, like the things were still confusing back there. Like, it, but back then, it, you know, what gas was and like gas was expensive as hell. And, and just like, it was just a different kind of space. And so Eric was, uh, like he had a meeting with myself and uh, Pixel Pete and another friend of us uh, of ours, uh, Matthew Wettergreen. We all met at a bar one night, and he like sort of introduced us to this idea. He's like this thing called Art Blocks, and we want to do this, and I want to do that, and it's sort of like a platform. And but like we didn't really understand. We're like, you know, this sounds really cool, but like it's hard to like wrap our mind around it. And so. Um, but at that time, like I, I kind of understood one, one basic element here, which was that using a token hash string, or in this case, uh, it was the uh, block hash. So like every Ethereum block uh, has like a, a unique uh, identifier, like a, a, a hash string to it. And um, using a unique hash string, one can produce a unique work of art from it, right? By interpreting that hash string you know, in different ways. So for example, if the first letter of the hash string is an A, then the composition might be red. If this first letter is C, the composition might be blue, right? And so like there's 64 characters in a hash string and, you know, there's uh, 16 possible variations of what that character can be. So that produces a ton of possible like configurations that a composition can have, right? And so like the, the idea from the get-go for me was like, okay, a hash string can be converted into a work of art. So that so after that meeting, we had talked about you know during that meeting we talked about like well we need some way to kind of like explore this and like a proof of concept and and so like Genesis was used for that. So like in 2018 we used Genesis to sort of explore how like what what does this look like on the contract side? Like what did this look like on the interface side, right? And a lot of that was just Eric working with other like people that were really savvy with programming right like my role was really just hey you know can you like kind of tweak your genesis project to make it work for these you know for for this hash string sort of like approach and and i was able to do that and so the project sort of was operating you know on the back end of of like you know testing for testing purposes and for the next 2 years it was basically doing that and um i think at one point uh in 2019 by the way it's all like the end of 2017 early 2018 and i think in 2019 we you know we had like a telegram channel and we were all chatting in there and uh there was like one moment where rick was like all right i need everybody to send a you know like an ethereum uh payment to this address right and so like we went around and each sent an address uh, a payment to that address i think it was like 0.001 ethereum or something right Actually, it wasn't even Ethereum. It was a, a special token that Eric had created called DART, Decentralized Art Token. 
And so we're using that to test it. <laughs> and, uh, and so we went around the table and kind of like, you know, the virtual table, because this is all on, uh, on uh, just online. Um, and we each sent a payment to this contract. And on all of our screens at the same time, a, like a, a Genesis Mint would appear. Right. And so then we would like we were checking. We're like, all right, well, everybody posts the image you see. And we would, you know, we all posted the image and it, it was all the same image. Right. So meaning that like we were all synced up and it was working. And, um, you know, and we did that with a couple different mints. And, um, you know, so like there were moments like that where like kind of it, it all kind of started coming together. But I would say like even at that point, it was still nebulous. Uh, like in my mind, like I just knew that hey, there's my project and Eric's doing something really awesome with it. Uh, I just got to like interact with this contract and like I get to see what I meant. And then, you know, I could see what everybody else meant. And like it was a different system. Like I would just leave my screen on. And then when when like, say, Pixel Pete would send a payment, then my screen would automatically like switch to his mint. And it would only exist for like, I don't know, uh, two minutes or something like until the next block ethereum block would mint right and so then it was like this constantly changing screen of outputs that would you know that would be streaming into your device right crypto kitties kind of you know did something similar i think they they work with the, the hash strings too mentality of using a hash string we can generate unique works of art right and uh, in crypto kitties kind of you know did something similar i think they they work with the, the hash strings too did you all have the concept of, you know, you don't know what you're going to get, even if the hash string, I guess the hash string does introduce that randomness of the output itself. And then did, did you decide to make it a larger collection size to allow for that to really manifest and, and get like the variety of the collection? I think, well, let, let's just say like, okay, so that was through that 2019 fast forward a whole like year and a half later, uh, it's November and it's you know, about when Artblocks was about to launch, right? And uh, this is like now COVID time, you know, and Eric had the time like in his schedule to like sit down and like actually put together the whole project vision, like the way he envisioned it, like with the developers. And, and at this time, I'm sort of like on the outside, just working on my degree and like finishing up school and like just, you know, you know figuring out life, I guess you could say. Um, but Eric sort of came to me, like, I would say like a couple of weeks before and was like, hey, uh, this Artblocks project I'm working on, like, it's it's really uh, like, you know, it, it's it's actually going to like, I'm actually doing this. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, and he was like, can you set up your Genesis project to, um, you know, like, can you convert it to like this particular format so that it works for, uh, you know, I can upload it to blockchain and whatnot. And, I, you know, I did that and, and I kind of, you know, you know, like I, I've been staring at this project for like two years now, and I'm just like, this is a cool project, but nothing's happened with it. I don't know what's, you know, like I was thinking maybe I can take just outputs from this and like commercialize outputs somehow, like it's unrelated to blockchain, or maybe they could be some sort of like painting that I paint, you know, like I don't, I was confused as to where the, what the project was going to do if it, if it didn't do anything with the blockchain. But luckily, Eric came through and was like, hey, okay, we're going to do this. It's going to launch in a couple of weeks. You know, like, here's what you need to do to get it set up. And, you know, he showed me, like, basically how to, you know, operate MetaMask and, and interact with the Artblock smart contract and, and upload stuff there and all that kind of stuff. And and, I, and then, you know, like, 
couple days later it went live and in terms of the edition size like I, I was i didn't know what was like a good edition size so like we went with 512 because it's kind of like a power of two and it's like a good middle ground and and i you know i, I thought there's no way that 10 of these are going to be purchased much less 500 of them right because i was used to like like web 2 like world where you put stuff online and like nothing ever comes you know <laughs> you're worried about whether or not selling 500 and now you have a collection whose floor is 9.35 ETH. How crazy is that? I mean, we'll get into it, but I mean, I'm staring at OpenSea right now and it's like, it's got to be absolutely mind-blowing for you and, and kind of surreal to just think the, you know, two years ago, you're like, holy shit, like just 10, I'll be happy. And now you, you know, 10 is the magic number because it's a 10 ETH floor, right? But, you know, with that being said, it, you know, I'm I'm staring at all six of your collections and you know on, on one of my huge screens here. And it's and one of the things I wanted to ask you about your art in particular is, you know, do you feel like there's a, a common theme amongst all of your your art uh that you'd be willing to share with the greater community? And, you know, part B of this would be if you feel comfortable letting anything out, is there anything that you you're working on that we can, you know, look forward to? Yeah. Just like in terms of the collections together i would say that like my first three projects on art blocks are sort of like getting me getting my feet wet right like I, i'm wrapping my mind around generative art i'm wrapping my mind around like like the reality of art blocks and the reality of like the nft space and you know i'm coming from a background that's traditional art were like conceptual nature is sort of valued more than like the, the visual you know look of a of a thing and so like i'm thinking at that you know in, during these three first three projects i'm sort of still thinking in like that like how can i add like a conceptual element to this work but at the same time like i'm working with color right i'm, I'm working with shapes and i'm i'm working with like the like the things that come out of the box with p5 right like circles and squares and and uh and color fills and strokes and and maybe some movement and some animation right so like the beginning like my 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 projects are sort of exploring that there's exploring iteration and the possibilities of like how much can i get out of an algorithm a Gen 2 project is uh, probably one of my favorites because it's small edition, but also because uh, it, it plays with just color and form. And it's about surprise, I guess, in a way. Like you have these these two like curtains that sort of open up and reveal this, this, uh, this shape that's kind of been, I guess you could say, smoothed out along a particular type of curve. Yeah, and, and for, the, for those listening on audio only, I just put it up here on the screen on sansa.xyz so uh, i'm sorry to interrupt you daniel but please keep oh, no going. totally so like uh, like at this time really what i'm doing is i'm i'm exploring iteration I'm, and i'm seeing what it takes for me to like create something unique it's different from like everything else i'm seeing something that kind of is that, that can contain variety whereas variety with i guess like like a thread of consistency you know there's like a fine balance between like what obviously there's like a hundred opinions about what a, a generative project should be but in my eyes in in my experience um what i seek is is a project that has uh variety but also a certain like uh thread of consistency so like i'm exploring these kinds of ideas uh like with those first three projects and then 
what happened is that I connected with Matt Jacobson from Plotables, and he's doing this, you know, he's, he's creating this platform that is basically generative art for plotting purposes, which means that you make a work of art and then the collector can uh, send that work of art to a plotting device, which is like a, a, a CNC type axis device that takes a pen and draws it on a sheet of paper. And so I, I started learning about that and I thought like, well, well, what do I need to create a project that can operate in this way? And oh, since you're on that website there, if you click on gallery, uh, top left corner, and uh, you can kind of scroll through all the different projects that have been coming out of this platform, which they're all just really incredible. But the idea is that, well, now I have to think about generative art in a completely different way. And this is sort of like, it, it adds a new set of constraints. Like, you know, you can only do so much with a pen and you can only do so much with a pen plotter. And you don't want to generate something that can't be plotted on a platform like this. And so what that means is I have to rethink my code. I have to think my approach. Instead of working with just shapes and triangles and squares, I now have to think about points. I have to think about points and lines. So if I want to make a square, I have to literally figure out a way to position these points for a square at their proper positions. You know, and, and what that means is that like now I'm working at a more granular level. And once I get down to the level of points and lines, well, like the the sort of game changes instead of thinking, well, how can I make something incredibly colorful and beautiful? My mind starts thinking, well, how can I take these lines and drive them in certain ways to create shapes? And how can I take these shapes and convert them into something recognizable or uh, relatable? And so what I end up doing is creating these rocks and a project's called Really Random Rock. And it basically starts with a, a point and starts generating uh, lines and shapes from, from this one point into these, into these rock shapes and then adds uh, shading and color and whatnot. And all of it's plottable. And so like from that point onwards, like in my work, like my practice, I'm thinking, holy shit, there's so much more to generative art once you get down to the level of points and lines, because that means I can start thinking about representation. And it just it's just like, it's like uh, a tool, you know, like thinking about points, uh, generative art with points and lines is like thinking about drawing, you know, with through the lens of graphite, like what is graphite on a sheet of paper, as opposed to what is drawing, you know, like sketching with a pencil, right? Like. You can do so much with graphite if you think about it like that. Uh, if you if you're just stuck with a pencil, there's only like so many lines you can make, right? So like thinking about it more granularly, like opened up my whole mind to like what generative art can do, and and so from there, from you know from that point onwards, I've kind of like gravitated towards this realm of representation, and so like Marfa Yucca was my next project and like now I'm I'm literally traveling through West Texas I spent a month there over the summer and I was really lucky because I got to I got to be there like the moment that all the cacti and all the succulents and everything were flowering and like there was literally fields of yuccas is is that like the cherry blossom season in Japan but for yuccas oh yeah totally and it's only for like a week and a half or so uh that the yuccas actually flower and then the flowers die but they all flower in tandem and it was just like a sight to behold, I guess. I, I don't know. I, apparently it doesn't happen every year. And um, so I was just there at the right place at the right time. And it left an impression on me. 
And so I thought, okay, well, what if I like express this somehow? Like, what if I bring this, like the beauty of these yuccas into a generative art project? You know, and so like the skills I learned from Plotables, you know, I, I'm applying to these next projects and I'm learning throughout this whole process that, 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 that there's a whole avenue of exploration that, that's, that's, you know, ripe with, you know, with content, which is uh, generative art with the aim of representational uh, like elements. Um, so that, that's kind of like you can kind of see this kind of happening in my work because early on I'm playing with shapes and color and now I'm playing with representation and now I'm playing with like color and form and representing actual locations you know Marfa Yucca is like about a, an actual plant and then if you go to Bosco de Chapultepec like this is an actual place that exists and I can experience that place and I can take my experience and internalize it and I can take that experience and, and like sort of find an expression through generative art to where I can share it with the world and I can not only share it with the world, but I'm also like making people aware of the existence of a particular place in, in, you know, in our real life. And so like, there's a value there and, and I really love that. And so like, I, I guess you could say that my work has sort of gone that route and moving forward, you know, I, I, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much committed to exploring this further but you know, projects in the future are definitely going to kind of take this and, and continue with it because there's not a lot of people exploring this kind of thing in generative art, and and there's a lot of generative artists out there, but there's actually like a hurdle to um, to getting into a place where you can get representational with things, and so for me, plottables and really diving deep into like how that works helps me find my, the tools within myself to to overcome that hurdle. Right. And so now that I'm over that hurdle, I want to kind of like keep pushing it, keep exploring, um, you know, and see what's out there. That's beautiful. I, I love how that experience kind of set you in a different trajectory. And I think the way that happens in life is is awesome. And I, you know, you were bright moments just last month. Perhaps that in real life makes you say, you know, I want more in real life stuff. I want more things where I can actually see my collectors and push the boundaries there. That's what's so cool about this. I mean, we uh, we had a spaces with Leo Villarreal. He just launched a collection, Cosmic Bloom. But he's talked about using generative techniques and some of the randomization in lighting installations. He's famous for doing lighting installations, San Francisco Bay Bridge, et cetera. And so there's just so many places that this can go. And I want to hop into your collections in a, in a second. I just, I got to ask you, you talk about your sculpture training and uh, uh, talents there. Have you thought about a way to mix that in? I mean, uh, I don't know enough about it. Like Peter Posma uh, comes to mind as as a great generative artist who's doing that. Aranda Lash Primitives uh, collection that recently launched has some sort of 3D elements. And I think there's a physical coming in that with that as well. I know Eric has been making some like clay for those editions he did with the uh, Proof Grails too. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I guess maybe there's that question. And then if if not, if there is something specific you have in mind that you're working on right now. Well, I, I can say that from the very beginning, 2018, when we when we all sat down and, and kind of chatted and Eric told us about art blocks, one of the like the earliest ideas around that time was like, well, this could be used to create a physical public sculpture that's interactive, that people can sort of uh, like use the blockchain and like Web3 and like tokens to like interact with this public thing, right? So like if you picture it, maybe like you can picture it like 
what if Leo Villarreal's bridge in the Bay Bridge, which is basically completely illuminated by LEDs that are all uh, reactive and running in real time, right? What if that bridge was interactable where like somebody who buys a token can uh, like maybe send a transaction to this contract and that contract sends a trans, uh, you know, like somehow uh, controls the lights on that bridge and like causes them to react in a particular way. You know, like something like that uh, was just like a really early, just kind of a wild, crazy thought that and an idea that we were kind of tossing around. Eric and I and Pete were tossing that around for a little bit. And so like at the back of my mind, I've always been like, you know, somehow this is going to come full circle and it's going to come to physical, sculptural, present things. And so I'm, I've always got my ear like to like the ground, what's going on with the digital uh, modeling space. I, I teach digital fabrication. You know, I, I teach people how to 3D model and, and um, how to sculpt with computers and things like that. And so uh, like it's very much up my alley. And I've definitely thought about, you know, creating a generative project that outputs, you know, like STLs or OBJs, uh, basically 3D models that can be sent straight to the 3D printer. Uh, and then there's already a platform that's even focusing on that out there. Uh, I just, I don't have the name at the top of my head, but, um, you know, the, and, and I've seen a couple of artists, even Artblocks artists exploring that concept, including uh, Eric himself and a, a couple of others, Peter, sorry, not Peter Pasma, um, Luke Shannon uh, has kind of, you know, been exploring that a little bit and a few others. I love the exploration. Sorry to cut you off of yeah, the, yeah. the physical. I mean, I just ordered my my screens prints. I'm obsessed with being able to get like the the originals to represent not only physically but digitally. I love what Eric's doing with the pottery, slightly jelly that I didn't get a uh, didn't get one from Proof because <laughs> I'd love to have a piece of pottery. But you know, I also think that you know, in, in talking with more artists and, and not being an artist myself, but having that connection to physical, I think allows for a greater depth of coding because you almost like feel mm -hmm. this propensity to to dive deeper into a, a product and, and try to represent it in a digital fashion i mean when we talked to him upon it was it was really big about um you know his, his physically integrating experiences of his his life into it and i'm hearing something similar to you so that kind of throughput and, and consistency across what i what i would consider great artists is really really an intriguing data point and you know a transition to IRL stuff is I wanted to talk about bright moments and your Bosky release. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the full uh, name. <laughs> I'll, I'll allow you to, to introduce that. And we'll, we'll hop on to the screen here and uh, I'm going to turn off the video so folks can focus on the art over here. But yeah, we, we have a deck of gallery for everybody who's just listening on audio. It's going to be in the show notes. Check it out. We have some of Daniel's amazing art here. And uh, we're we're gonna ask you to, to break it down a little bit. So I curated for sure a little collection for you. Can you see the screen here? Yeah, I can see it. This is you know again I, I will say one of if not the most well received from a collector community of the you know bright moments Mexico City. So I just wanted to you know on behalf of P and I and Collectors Corner tell you that this is amazing outputs I, I i think that the community has spoken and it has a deep resonance with everybody it's absolutely beautiful i, I love when you blow these up onto a large screen the the amount of 
detail. It almost reminds me of a Monet, you know, with the dot art of being able to to connect with, you know, a, a visual picture from afar, but then you get up close and you see just, I mean, the one I'm looking at right now, enlarged on my screen, not the one that's being showed. It has a brick wall and the, the amount of detail that went into it in the background, it, it's mm -hmm. just, it's absolutely uh, ap uh, incredible. So job well done. Sadly, I wasn't able to make it to Mexico City. I had a, a birthday that I was celebrating, but I would have loved to have seen some of these come across out of the generator. But, mm -hmm. you know, walk us through, if you don't mind, kind of the inspiration behind this and and what you're how you got to this point on such a, a large platform. And, and and also, I'd like to hear a little bit of a divergence from the art, but I know that you and Eric were born and raised in Mexico City. So like, what did it mean to you personally to have that, you know, platform to, to release your art and allow kind of to have its own moment amongst a place that was so meaningful to you? Well, okay. Thank you for, um, from what you said about the collection. It's definitely like, this is the first time I've ever experienced something like this, where I create a work of art and not only am I like able to, like I'm expressing something like, you know, myself, but I'm through the community. I've learned so much more about myself and about the work of art and just about like, I guess like the importance of, of like putting myself out there and like, uh, and really aiming high with, with, you know, doing, trying to do something great. I can say that like, I guess, well, the question is, um, is like, how, how, like what's the inspiration behind it? So Bosque de Chapultepec, let me just say this real quick. <laughs> Bosque de Chapultepec. So Chapultepec is actually an old Nahuatl word for grasshopper hill. So Chapulte is grasshopper. And um, so Bosque de Chapultepec, uh, and in the very middle of this park, there's a huge hill. And on that hill, there's a big castle. And so um, so you can call it Grasshopper Hill if it's easier. <laughs> so Bosque de Chapultepec is a special place, obviously, like in Mexico City. It's like the central park of Mexico City, right? It's even bigger than New York Central Park. It's older. Uh, it's been there for, you know, human civilization has been there for more than like 1,500 years or so. There's, uh, there's traces of uh, old cultures working and living there but it's just a beautiful place like even if you take away the history like visually it's it's a it's an urban oasis literally there's palm trees there's like a tropical plants in the middle of one of the most urban cities you could ever imagine right like a concrete jungle right and so like it's a beautiful place just in and of itself and it, it sort of captures the the vibe of mexico city of uh just like like you know the the jungle and uh um it's a, it's a jungle vibe with a lot of active stuff happening it's a very trendy place at the moment but yeah the the park is a, it's a it's an old place but it's also like ingrained and in, i would say like just like the collective mind of of people who are from mexico city like it's it's a it's a common place everybody knows it you know everybody in mexico city knows it but people outside don't know it and for me the inspiration was just um like i, I was closing my eyes one day and i was just thinking like what could i do with bright moments and you know, I, I had some other ideas too like a generative snake just like some really exotic sort of snake thing i don't know i was playing with all kinds of weird ideas at one point i was uh 
thinking of like creating cacti and eagles and and snakes and i don't know it's just really weird stuff right but at one point i was like that's not genuine like it's not me i need to connect with myself through this project and and i closed my eyes and i just like my mom's words popped in them like, i just pictured her saying Oscar the chapel to pick like you know because she would say it for various times throughout our lives just talking about the park and we all like her she grew up right next to the park and and just hearing her voice in my mind like say the name and it triggered this vision of like a forest and a forest scene with a lot of trees and a dense sort of maybe at moments kind of spooky but beautiful nonetheless and so so i started kind of exploring that and i got home that day and i said you know what i have to make this forest i have to bring this place into existence like in this you know blockchain space where uh where the name of a project circulates just as much as like the images do right so if i can take these words and and make them more known then that means people are learning there's an educational component to this and people are learning about the existence of a place and and i i actually got that from a project that uh jake rockland made for art blocks called patchwork sagueros uh basically he it's uh it's a it's a cactus and I didn't know anything about these cacti, right? Like I thought they were all over the United States, but no, I I didn't know what a saguaro cactus was. And I learned about that through an art blocks project. And I thought, holy shit, like there's something there. People can learn through art, right? And so part of the idea was like, how can I bring this knowledge or this, you know, like like this learning through a project? And and it kind of came together through Bosque de Chapultepec. I'm ex- I'm I'm introducing a place that exists in reality. And so, you know, for a while I, I started playing with, you know, just lines and points and, and making trees and, and paths and and whatnot. And literally I started doing this in uh, like mid-July. And I actually, you know, for me as an educator, right, I, as soon as the semester starts and anybody out there who teaches probably knows this too, is that like, you, half of your useful time goes away because you got to set up a lesson plans. You've got to meet with students. You got to get to campus. You got to set up your, you know, your, you, it just takes up a lot of time. And then after you're done teaching, like you're pretty much drained and like all your creative energy is kind of like not there anymore. Right. So like teaching semester was right around the corner for me. And I was like, I got to make a quick decision. <laughs> I have like a couple of projects coming up and either I go all in on generative art and make this my full-time job or I'm just never gonna like really feel connected with what I do right and so I decided to take the semester off and so I didn't teach this semester and I went 100% in to generative art that means like I'm waking up at like 11 a.m well I'm waking up at 9 a.m and I get started (laughs) at around 11. I love that I mean I'm an artist what can I say right I still up till three in the morning I, I can I can respect that don't you worry yeah, so so I, I I stay up and I code all day, and I'm working on this project all day up until two or three in the morning every single day, and this is my daily routine, Monday through Friday, even Saturday Sundays, you know, like uh, it's just like I'm all in on this, right? And so that gave me a lot of time to explore it myself, explore my concept, explore the idea, explore the code, uh, figure out ways to to make it work, and so this project is really like a, a, a serious labor of love. So many hours went into this and like hours of revisions and, and taking something and stepping it back and eliminating things and filtering things. And I mean, it was a whole 
lot of work. And through that process, I tend to push myself in, in ways that are just extreme, right? And and I like that. That's how I learn the best, right? Like I was hallucinating code. I was hallucinating dots by the end of this. As I walk outside and I look at trees, I'm just like, every leaf is a dot, right? And so it, it was definitely an awesome, like, feat of uh, effort for me. I went all in and I think that the results sort of kind of speak to that. Results definitely speak to it. I mean, honestly, it's beautiful. The more you dig into the project, the more you like flip through each one, the, the amount of attention to detail that goes into each piece when you do get close is is really profound. So what 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 inspired the dots component of of this art? Just our curiosity. Well I, I really love uh, impressionism. I'm a big fan of a couple of different movements from that time. The impressionistic approach of, uh, you know, capturing light and uh, capturing a very particular moment in time through brushstrokes. Uh, and then, of course, the pointillistic movement. Um, I wouldn't really call this pointillism, personally, because pointillism is more about using dots to generate color. But this is not really using dots to generate color. This is using dots to generate form. So it's, it's not particularly pointillism but the Favist movement shortly after is one that I really connected with and early on with this project I, I turned to um, I looked at a lot of Favist pieces they they painted a lot of forests you know trees and um, and I found the work by Andre Durain there's a couple of early works by him they're just I think they're just small painting sketches uh, where he uses points to uh, generate see if I can find the link and I'll send it to you. You can post it. He uses points to generate uh, things like trees and forests and, and whatnot. And, and I really sort of, I like that aesthetic. So I kind of pursued that. Uh, the color, color-wise, the, the Favists are also um, really into like using random, random color, not really uh, uh, using color logically, but rather uh, almost irrationally. And so I, I kind of like that too. So yeah, there you go. So if you just click on images and kind of scroll down, uh, you'll see all kinds of, um, and if I see one, I'll, I'll tell you to click on it. So he's using like this sort of uh, point-based expressive sort of style. It's an aesthetic that, you know, I, I sort of used, I, I used this as inspiration early on, but there's also, um, as I started coding and as the start, as, as the dots became a thing, you know, like this is called circle packing, by the way. Uh, it's just an algorithm that that puts down a circle and it checks, makes sure that makes sure that there's no circles near it. So what happens is you get um, you get this like uh, grid of circles that never overlap, right? So as I got into it, I, I started realizing that the circle packing aesthetic was it actually connected with uh, this pastry that I had as a child growing up. It's called a Garibaldi, and it's uh, made by El Globo uh, pa uh, Pastry Shop in Mexico City. And this pastry is literally covered in sprinkles, right? And sprinkles are just a whole bunch of little dots. Like, they, they like, naturally circle pack <laughs> themselves, right? And so... There you go. So these Garibaldis are sort of like the, what I re I realized after the circle packing, I was like, oh my God, this is just like the Garibaldis. And I love Garibaldis and I love the way they look. And so I have to bring the Garibaldi into this project and I have to kind of emphasize the circle packing and like connect it to that. And I have to be honest, I'm going to interrupt you here, man. The amount yeah. of thought that you and Eric put into this to represent Mexico City is like absolutely stunning. I mean, we listened to him on the Proof Podcast talk about it and I'm 
rude and interrupting your flow here, but I'm just like flabbergasted at the, the amount of attention you're putting towards your, your outputs. And and I love this podcast because we're able to tease these out and share them with a a greater, greater community. But I mean, it's absolutely dynamic, man. I mean, thank you for, for sharing it. And I'm sorry to interrupt that flow. I mean, I've just been scrolling through. See, the thing is, is, is like, that's, that's like the exact point. Is it like, it's either like it's either like all or nothing really at this point for me like i'm going all in to generative art um this is my career at this point and i have to put my whole heart into it because i'm not if i'm not putting my whole self into it my whole heart into it then i'm not giving out the best you know and 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 i'm not putting myself genuinely out there and i i think that this is important for other artists too is that once you start bringing elements of yourself into the work the work takes on a whole nother meaning not only for collectors but also for you as an artist and i truly believe that if you create a work of art that when you release it you feel somewhat vulnerable like an exposed like that's a good feeling that means that there's something about you in that piece that you know i mean, obviously you can be judged by it or whatnot but there's something in you a part of you is in that piece and that makes a work of art just exponentially more significant. Uh, like, you know, yeah, the, the more I'm listening to you talk, I mean, it, it's, it's a hundred percent evident that this is definitely representative of a heart and soul and, and, and very, it has a depth to it that, you know, it shows up as a collector. I mean, I was drawn to it initially and and now it's like, Jesus, now I need to buy like 10 of them because it's insane. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a whole nother experience being there. And uh, sitting in that room with Daniel and being able to eat one of the Garibaldi's, which was just super cool. And he, he brought them for everybody who minted one, yeah. which is nice and had kind of like a park-like feel in the room. You know, I, I wanted to tell you, I, th- I think you nailed it on the head here with Bosque de Chapultepec. Now that I, I have the words in front of me, I can finally pronounce it. But my fiance, she, her family's from Mexico City. And like about three hours away, but she knew the park. She saw the images and she was like, oh, this is so cool. And she's not Web3 native or, or anything like that. And so I, I think that there's a simplicity in here that resonates almost like when you see a star athlete playing and you're like, wow, they make it look so easy. Uh, you, you made it look easy, which means it was really, <laughs> really hard. And I, I, Yeah, I, it was hard. It, it was hard. I wanted to ask you actually, like, do you, so, so I, I curated a few of these. And maybe since since uh, our audience uh, and we like to nerd out on some of the details here, do you want to talk through any of any of the above? So this this first set, I wanted to just kind of highlight some of the some of the colors and uh, highlighted that throughout. And then the second set we're here seeing on the screen, I wanted to highlight the foliage. And actually, I think this one on oh, the right yeah, is, is a one of one. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. It's a collection of a hundred, but it's the only one that has multiple colors within a single tree as opposed to just different trees being different foliage and then just like super quickly uh, i just i love these ones these are 46 on the left 48 in the middle and 40 on the right it just felt like a complete forest triptych you know you got the city in the background here so it almost felt like yeah there, there's like some of them are outside of the city and then there are the background skies here yeah. and i think i was with you when this one here minted in the middle here uh, which is a uh, number eighty. That's cool. That's the eclipse. Yeah, and then and then there's finally just the backgrounds here with like sometimes you see a city, sometimes you you kind of well this is more the sky. So yeah, any of the above that you want to talk through for and- sure. 
if you if you scroll up to that uh like sort of uh, rainbow colored one on the right that one is uh is was really cool because uh it was actually minted by uh seth from bright moments so like wow. the founder of bright moments he got that one and uh, it was a total surprise when we when it appeared on the screen, everyone was like, whoa, what? It was, uh, it was really fun. But yeah, there's um, the, the actual, the, the coloration you see in this, in, in these, these types, the, the one with the rainbow colors is actually just a, it's not, I wouldn't call it a glitch, but like a quirk with the way color works in, uh, in just uh, P5. <laughs> I'm working in this HSB color space, uh, the hue, saturation, and brightness color space. And what I'm doing is I'm going around the wheel of the color wheel, like 360 degrees, right? And so when I get to 360, if I go to 361, it jumps back to one, right? And so it actually captures like the whole spectrum in that process. And so there's uh, just very few of these types that came out, but it's definitely a weird quirk that appeared and I sort of embraced it. But yeah, like the, uh, a lot of these mints that came through, there was a lot of weeding out that I did with this algorithm just kind of trying to get a, a certain amount of consistency because the addition size is so small, right? At a hundred mints, I want there to be a very common thread amongst all these to where when you look at one, you know exactly what the project is. It resembles all the others, but maybe color and maybe form and, and composition are slightly different. Some of the ones that I really enjoyed are, I, I like the ones that have wavy paths personally. So like if you go to the very top, or maybe the green ones too. Let's see if there's any of the ones that have like a wavy path. I love the wavy path. It's it was so fun to code that wavy path. So that's a, exactly like that. That's that right there. And in that color palette you're looking at right there is the original color palette. Like that's where I started. So it's got the green foliage, the dark blue sky, and then the brown trees. And then from there, I took that color palette and sort of tweaked it in different ways to get all the, the range of, uh, of colors. But I will say that one thing about this project that, I, that is um, maybe like where I pushed myself a lot was with color. Can we talk about this? Because I think this yeah, is yeah. actually the, the best part of the project is, is the colors. I, I've been like, you probably see me toggling on and off of mute because I'm so ecstatic about like the, the coloration and palettes that you implemented is is honestly, I think, next level. I, I actually just clicked into, my favorite is number 50. And I, I, I had a little bit of a bout of depression because Xerox Houston owns it, which means I probably have no shot of ever owning <laughs> the damn thing. But that being said, I am so excited about the, the palettes here. I'd love to hear more about like how your process came to be because it was, sure. the more I click into, the more I'm just like beside myself. I can honestly say about myself that color was my weakness for a long time. Around when I learned that I was going to do a project for Bright Moments, the first thing that came to mind was, you know what? I have to understand color. I have to wrap my mind around color in a way that works. Because previously, I'm working with color using randomness and saying randomness is what determines color for my projects that's what generative art should be right it should be a, a like completely random color that the algorithm kind of generates on the fly but i don't think that was necessarily working for me so much you know and and so i decided to invest a lot of time into color and that means i watched videos on youtube i bought books 
I played with palettes. I, you know, did all kinds of stuff to where I had to understand color from like a, a different perspective. And it made sense. My realization is color is everything and color will make or break a project. So you can have the most beautiful project, but the colors are not right. It just does not work, right? So it became a very central part of my exploration. So what I did was I, well, I, I got some books and I read and read and read. And I went to the library and whatnot. And I would just sit there and look at books about color, graphic design books. You know, they have tricks and whatnot. But it wasn't until I found a video on YouTube about color relativity. And color relativity, it was like the thing that made everything click for me. You can have a blue color next to like a gray color and they'll both look blue, right? Because the blue is like kind of dominating and the gray sort of takes on this bluish hue. And so this project, what I'm doing is I'm incorporating these ideas of color relativity uh, into the compositions. And what it creates is a super rich color experience. And that's new to me. I'm still kind of in awe that color can do this. It's something that literally I learned in a you know a matter of, well, I mean, over a couple of months learning color. But then like when I watched one particular video, it clicked. And I was like, holy shit, this all makes sense, right? So like color relativity is what's happening here. And I would definitely want to explore more of that. Yeah. And it's probably nice that you have Jeff Davis there. You're probably your buddy you've worked with for a long I've time. I've got his who, books too. <laughs> who's like a master on, on color theory. And yeah, no, I you really you really nailed it with this one. I you know, I think it was it's beautiful. And I'm talking about colors, I mean, even here on the screen right now, I'm showing some green ones. This is the 46, 48, and 40. It, it just still feels very vibrant, even though you're not mm -hmm. using a huge range of the possible color palette. Well, the thing is, is, is that I can pick up on very subtle change in color. And imagine, like, if I'm naive, I'm coming into this, like saying the sky should be blue, the grass should be green, and the leaves should be green, right? But that totally kills color. Like, you know, like, like just going with full chroma, uh, like hues, right? Color can work in this relative way where if you have the sky as red, and the leaves is red and the trees is red, but each one of those reds is a slight variation of red in a particular direction, then you actually create a depth in color that is very subtle, but extremely uh, effective. And, and so like that, that's sort of, I think like what's going on here, just really subtle shifts in, in hue and saturation uh, between different elements create a, a very uh, sort of vivid, harmonious balance that that works really well and so like i, I want to explore more of that and and um it's definitely happening here i think that's the richness of of the color absolutely and as i was looking through this i recognized that the background colors like say this one for example uh what number is this number 75 i mean it's completely purple in the background but then you kind of have a shade of purple here which is probably like a mountain or, or some kind of a structure mm -hmm. in the distance and i just you know zooming in i was like wow the whole background is purple and that was really beautiful and and different and yeah i mean okay i i could talk about this project for a really long time that we're, we're probably gonna have to 
skip a couple of the other ones, but talking about color, I mean, what really struck me about Marfa Yuka, your project here, is that the colors you use are fantastic. So maybe we can like transition mm -hmm. over to to this project, and and I think perhaps we'll we'll save Genesis for uh, for a round two, if when when we get that going. But yeah, because I, I want to spend time on Marfa Yuka and. I love Marfa Yuka. I think it's a really, really interesting project. Maybe you can explain. Well, I'll, I'll tee it up a little bit. So, this was a initially a mint that you could get by going to Marfa, Texas, when Artblocks had their event on November eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, around those days. And right now, when I last checked, there were about three hundred of these that had been minted. But it's an open edition. It's part of the new Artblocks explorations. So can you tell folks uh, what is kind of the plan for Marfa Yuka and how long will it be open for? I think you have to go to Marfa to actually mint one now. And uh, then, uh, yeah, and then and then maybe we can uh, just like that tiny bit of context and then talk a little bit about the color because it, I feel like uh, a lot of your color studies came through here. I've, yeah, I've they did. created a bunch of these that are fantastic. Yeah, so it's actually kind of funny because... I created Marfa, I say yucca, but yucca is also a proper word for, for it. It just depends on like regional differences and the way it's pronounced. Yucca can also refer to like the food, which is a different plant. But so I say yucca, uh, maybe it's just like a Texas thing. <laughs> no, no, that's my fault. Yucca. So the funny thing is that I actually created Marfa yucca before Bosqueda Chapultepec, but the colors were different. And then once I learned about color relativity and, and um, the importance of contrast and whatnot, I actually, like, sort of towards the end, I came back into Marfa Yucca and tweaked all the colors of every single palette to make them a little bit more harmonious. And so um, it's sort of re retroactively color adjusted compared to what it was before. But uh, yeah, the, the project is great. Like, I, I love what Arblox is doing with explorations. You know, the first project was the, was the friendship bracelets, and Marfa Yucca is the second project. And um, these projects sort of explore a different side of generative art. Uh, maybe like things that you know, like let's say they have an artist residency or something. You know, like projects that uh, kind of relate to the community, or uh, you know, I, I I think that you can get like the best explanation of what Art Blocks Explorations is from them. But for me, uh, like this, these are community-driven projects where like they go out to to the community at a different price points or potentially free, you know, as gifts or whatnot. And um, everybody that went to Marfa for the open house was able to claim one if they were able to do it within the window. And then now, what Artblox is planning on doing is uh, opening up the Minter for in-person visitors because just like any random day of the week you know people walk into the art blocks gallery and they some a lot of those people have never heard of generative art they don't know about web3 they don't know about nfts and so they're walking in there just seeing looking for art and and trying to experience what marfa has in terms of uh, you know offer art offerings and so they're walking in there and they're learning about art blocks and they want to know like how can I get involved like how can I be part of this what do I need to do and and so there's like the whole onboarding thing like you got to have a web3 wallet and you have to understand what your address is and metamask and all that kind of stuff and so 
what Artblox is doing with this project is when people walk into the gallery, they can look at all the artwork that's on the walls. And then if they desire, they can sort of get onboarded onto Web3 and collect one of these. So it's sort of like an incentive to, to help onboard people that are just visiting casually and stumble across art blocks. Like it's, that's a great opportunity for them to get involved and kind of like get a piece of something that that's uh, regionally important. You know, like this is, this is about Marfa and this is about Donald Judd and about his sculpture, but also about the yuccas. So it's very much like a, a keepsake from their travels to, to Marfa, but also just something cool to remember Marfa by. So that's sort of what I think our Blux is, has in, in mind. And, and, and I don't know the full details. I know that they're kind of planning on opening the Minter up soon, possibly um, like mid-December. And then it'll stay open for maybe a month, maybe longer. I'm not really sure, uh, but it, it, the, the, it's a it's an open edition, and at some point there will be some more mints coming through the Minter. I personally, myself, am going to go down there with some friends to get some non crypto friends and get them onboarded into Web three just through this project. So I'm looking forward to going down there and having my friends mint a couple of these. Yeah, this is such a cool project for so many reasons. I mean, the the history behind it with Donald Judd, the fact that it is an open edition, the second art blocks explorations although it kind of almost feels like the first one because friendship bracelets feels a little different in some ways and interestingly so only 298 minted i'm looking at OpenSea right now 97 percent unique owners so these are not changing hands and that that i've never seen anything honestly above 60. that's really cool yeah so that is really fantastic and it's it's beautiful man i i wanted to maybe we can like talk through how you thought some of the elements in our sort of classic deep dive style. Uh, so, you know, you have the the box fill, which refers to the box fill trait, which refers to the, the color and the filling of the box itself, I assume. Uh, actually, let me go up here. Yeah. So I'm just going to like name the traits that I kind of caught my eye and, and added some variety. And then you can take it whichever way you want. If, you, if there's any of those that you particularly like or want to talk about, so I'll scroll through here real quick. So there's box fill here. So we get different colors of the box fill in these first. Real, just real quick, that top right one, that that one right there, mm -hmm. I think that's possibly one of a kind. There's only one of those. It's the pink. Ooh, I, I think I, I, like I've, I've gone through so many traits for other projects in the last few days. I, I want to say the trait's called um, rose. It's just a rose palette but there's the only one of them came out that way with the uh, natural yucca. So that one right there is like a pretty unique mint. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I'd be very, we'd be very lucky to see another one of those pop out in the, you know, if, if more of them mint. So that one is on sale. So oh really? Okay. listed it. If the, yeah, you're right. It's pink box filled with the natural yucca and the rose palette. Okay, cool. Cool. All right, sorry. So you're, you're going to say... No, please. Yeah, feel free to interrupt me. So I, I, I pulled out a couple more of these box fills here. Uh, this one on the left here is 261. I just I just love the way it kind of looked like soil and reminded me of earth. And uh, sorry, I think soil is the name of the box fill. And then on the right here, number 91, this was... It was a light box fill, which I found really cool. And uh, I, I'm I'm just going to skip over a couple because I really wanted to ask you about this because this one, number 91, the background with the squares, you, you had a few that were tributes. Uh, I believe that one is a tribute to Herbert Frankie or, or Frank. Yeah, Herbert Frank. 
Our, the Art Blocks house actually has one of the original pen plots by him in their gallery, which is basically just squares like that. Uh, and it was done with um, just pens like in the 1960s, right? And so it actually looked really great as a background. And not, not I mean, not it looks great as an artwork, but putting it as a background really kind of was, a I think, a, a great way to kind of bring all these elements together. And, um, and unfortunately, uh, Herbert Frank died earlier this year and as well as Charles Charles Suri who's uh who both of which are incredibly influential generative artists from the 60s and 70s that you know barely got to see the excitement of the NFT space and, and so I, I just felt it appropriate to um kind of honor them in any way that I could in this case the the, the one you're looking at here the black one and the green one those are Charles Suri uh homages and um the the bot what he did is he also worked with lines and, and point data kind of like the same way i'm doing it with plottables and whatnot and and so I, I find that really inspiring and what he's what he's known for doing is like taking these sort of drawings that he would make and um exploding the lines into various like abstract sort of forms and uh and so what i'm doing here uh, to to honor his work is basically taking these box forms and sort of exploding them into these Sort of more abstracted, like box-like shapes. There, there's a there's an in real life sculpture challenge for you. If you can make a sculpture that's all kind of exploded like this, that would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, Donald Judd. Just take take a Donald Judd Donald Judd sculpture and just blow it up. <laughs> exactly, and then put a put a yucca in it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I, I love how artists have been doing their homages to various uh, earlier artists who kind of laid down the space. And yeah, those are just beautiful. And I, you know, I see now what you mean about the flowers. I've never seen them in person, but I feel like there's there's a chance to experience them a, a little bit. So the other uh, traits that I showcased here, one was boxes. I went with a one, four, 16, and 64. The 64 being really rare. And so I highlighted those to show the variety there. And I also wanted to show... You know, you have palettes, which is, I believe, kind of the, the canvas with the background color. And then we have the box color itself and then the yucca color. We've mm -hmm. been talking a lot about color. And, uh, you know, I can show showcase some of these. But which one of these combos did you like the best or feel like came out the best? Uh, I have a few of my own that I really like, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. The, the triple color combination uh, or triple color category combinations. So. Part of uh, like what I've been interested in, and uh, I guess I can pre uh, I can start off by saying one of my favorite projects is Ringers. <laughs> you know, I love Ringers. Yeah, you understand, right? But what is it about Ringers that I love, right? And I, I ask myself that all the time. And I think it's just the boldness, right? And the high contrast. So like when I work on projects, like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, like how can you know like uh, how can i bring more contrast into this or like make it like bold and and sort of like you know like in a ringer style and, and obviously this isn't ringers right but what i'm kind of doing with these color palettes is i'm trying to simplify colors down to where there's one two or three because there's a element of contrast that can emerge from that I, i'm i'm just I, I love looking at these so yeah yeah, so, sorry not to distract no, you. No, no, that's, that's great. When we put this together, I was like, wow, because you almost never see all the colored ones since uh, they were kind of vaulted away. 
So like, obviously there's a lot of generative things happening, you know, with the algorithm in terms of like wrapping a string around a peg. But if you like kind of take a step back from the algorithms and you just look at it compositionally and formally, like what's happening here is these are high contrast, very bold pieces. And the boldness and the simplicity, I think, are just easy to digest. And they're, they're, uh, they provide less friction to internalize what you're looking at, right? They're they're easy to to take in. And I love that, right? And so like with some of those palettes with the yucca, what I'm trying to do is just kind of simplify things to where there's just one or two colors and there's a bold contrast happening, right? Just like, for example, the ones that don't have box fill, like that one right there, the black and white one, like that's literally just one color, which is white, you know, you could say the black is just the paper or whatever. And so like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, these would be great for screen printing, you know, to make some kind of poster, uh, just a one color, quick, quick screen print. So I'm kind of playing with ideas that could relate back to screen printing, but also simplicity and color and whatnot. But then, of course, there's like these, which have the natural yucca. And part of the beauty of the yucca is that yellowish flower. And I thought, well, if I just have silhouettes, then I'm I'm not really showcasing this beauty. And and so, you know, I wanted to include some of these natural ones, and the natural ones are you know paired with their backgrounds, and and I think they they look great. I, I love the natural uh, yucca outputs. Uh, okay, so a philosophical question for you. Uh, sorry to cut you off. The I was really drawn to the natural ones, not actually knowing what a yucca looks like in nature. Do you think now that as you've studied color more, there is something about the, I guess, like the natural colors that we see that we're more drawn to? Or, yeah, like, how do, how do you think about that? Or am I just crazy? No, no, you're not definitely not crazy. I mean, <laughs> there's, you know, two different worlds, right? Like when you take away color and you're working with silhouettes, you're working with just pure abstraction. You're working in, a, in an abstract mental space. It's not realistic or not naturalistic. But then, you know, by doing that, you're omitting the naturalistic role. And, and these these types of outputs, like the kinds of algorithms I've been writing lately, they really relate to nature, like branching patterns of trees or uh, yuccas. And like the way the yucca spike ball on there is is constructed, it's actually using like the golden angle, the way that actual, an actual plant would grow. It's using... Uh, I think the angle is like 137.5 degrees. I always look at it. I always Google it every time I work because I never remember it. But it's basically using like actual like ratios that nature uses, you know, to produce itself, right? And so there's an, there's an implicitly naturalistic element to these works. And so by bringing in naturalistic colors, you know, it just heightens what we already know to be a yucca and it, and it makes it more uh, identifiable and, and easier to, to understand. I feel like I keep fanboying on your your research here, but it's one of the things that became evident in talking to artists. Like even in Marfa, we were talking to James, who just released Ori, and the amount of time he put into like uh, understanding like algorithmically, like the the dynamic and the fold of every. I mean, I think that having this level of detail, even just you referencing the the golden angle and, and trying to mimic nature it shows and it's just it, it's so refreshing to hear this because it means it, it's not intended to fake but rather accurately represent and and this level of detail it, it definitely shows up in your work man i mean i'm just becoming more and more of a fan the the more and more we talk because it 
the amount of thought and attention and, and dedication to the craft is is so overwhelmingly apparent. It's it's incredible. Yeah, and we were we were talking beforehand about how Jared and I both fumbled our Marfa yuccas despite being there in person. <laughs> and uh, now, 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 I really do want one. I'm like, oh crap! How how can I? <laughs> I might have to to make that trip out. You're gonna have to make a trip out there. Yeah, there's a maybe there's an Amtrak that goes through. I <laughs> uh, you know I I seriously doubt it, but if we can we can find something, it is it's worth the trip. And I, you know, I wanted to ask you just we've been talking a lot about the art. How do you feel about the art blocks exploration? Not as a concept, but this. I guess conceptually, but this project specifically too, the fact that it's an open edition, that it kind of is, uh, you know, you you have to be there in person to get it, whether it was earlier or later when they reopen it. Uh, Yeah. Like how do you think about that and how how did that influence your algorithm? Oh, it definitely influenced a lot because first off, I had no idea if there was going to be a hundred people or 500 people or more. Right. Or if someone was going to bot the thing and, and somehow figure out a way to like, mint you know a thousand of them with a couple of clicks you know you never know right but uh so you know just with that in mind i kind of i kind of aim for three to three hundred three to five hundred outputs and it's definitely a, a huge consideration you know when you make a general project is like how how many like can the algorithm keep up with the addition size the last thing i want is to have a project that becomes extremely repetitive and for me, every single mint should bring something new and something surprising and maybe like something unexpected, right? So like it is important for me to kind of gauge the addition size and kind of aim my algorithm to, you know, be able to keep up with that. So, you know, I, I did a lot of, of editing and, and making sure that there was enough variety, like by adding more boxes, different size boxes, different number of yuccas inside each. What's cool about the like working with plants though, is it like, Plants give a lot of variety. They can grow in so many different ways. You know, like you can get a, a plant that's really twisted and whatnot, and then get a plant that's really straight. And um, in its nature, so it's it's not like totally unimaginable that it could exist in real life. So just like the inherent nature of yuccas created a lot of variety in the way that they can grow, and then playing with the boxes, uh, just different ways of of putting them in boxes and arranging them. Like, you know, there, there's a lot of room for variation in this. And I think that that was kind of like one of the funner parts of it is I, I love configurations. Like I love like permutations and combinations of different things in, in one composition. Yeah, I love I love how this is in an open edition that's not going to get abused, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like mint as many as you can. And like, in my mind, I'm thinking like, no matter how you hit this algorithm, it'll always produce something unique and new because there's so much uh, configuration variety in there. So even if there was a thousand of them, like everybody would feel like they got a unique output. Well, we're starting to run long on time and I, I really wanted to, to dig into Genesis. But at the same time, uh, we'll, maybe this is, <laughs> we're going to have a part two because uh, this has been uh way more incredibly fun than I than I ever imagined. And I, I take that as I had a high bar. So it's it's a compliment to the, the dynamic thought you're putting into your responses. But I did want to hit on Genesis and just for anybody listening, expensive. It's not for everybody, right? Right now it's sitting at a 9.35 ETH floor, but just historically significant for anybody, if it wasn't as implied on through some of this conversation, You've been there from the very beginning alongside Eric and the develop and Jeff on the development of art blocks. 
you know, having a, a day zero set is to have a Genesis and to be able to, to be there. You know, I'm, I'm at a loss of words for, you know, when you set this off, uh, we talked about like, you thought maybe you'd have 10 minted and, and now it's at a 10 ETH floor. It, it's just absolutely incredible. A two-year journey. It feels like, uh, you know, I, your your art is starting to have a, a new meaning and depth to it and maybe we'll dig deeper into it on, on the next one if we're if you're if you're gracious enough to spend some more time but you know for, for at least for today i wanted to mention that dca genesis day zero absolutely a a must see i mean the the amount of i'm a big big collector of day zero squiggles you know one of the first 541 wow so Thank you, uh, Von Mises, for for the little alpha leak early on. But you know, I I've I am a firm believer in art blocks, and this Genesis releases. Um, it's such it, it's interwoven to the fabric of art blocks, and it, it's such a staple of it. And it it really stands as a foundation for for what was let what was to become art blocks and and the the platform of choice for generative art and no disrespect to anybody else, but you know, it, it really does stand on its own and, and Genesis in itself is, is a very monumental project. So I'd be remiss if we didn't at least take a moment to take a nod of the squiggle hat here and say, (laughs) uh, good job, man. Thanks. Yeah. Genesis, it's a special project to me. It's, you know, like, I mean, it's from before our blocks times and just to see it, live out its you know its existence and it's definitely appreciated by so many people but the interesting thing is it's like it's not it's not trying to be anything it's just you know shapes colors on a kind of canvas you know shapes colors and composition on a canvas and in this in a way it's like so simple that it exemplifies what generative means you know like it's just about creating unique outputs so it's a very simple concept and it's not even that like that's all it is i mean obviously it's it's it it can be more than that or it can be less than that depending on how you look at it but for me every time i look at genesis like i feel happy that it it came out the way it did yeah i don't i don't know i I, it's just it's like a part of me you know like I, i don't know what to say about it um, besides that, I, I I truly love the way it all unfolded and the kind of place that this project is, has taken in the bigger scheme of things. I wish it was very uh, affordable <laughs> so that more people could get it. When it minted out, it was, I think, what, like $50, right? Yeah, in all fairness, it, it was affordable for a long time. It's it's kind of, you know, this uh, this Art Blocks, you know, series eight series uh, complete set narrative kind of and day zero, right? I mean, there's a day zero narrative behind uh, collecting too. That uh... oh, you know what? Okay, hang on a second. Let me grab something. Okay, so I almost got by without showing this. Should, uh, let me let me let me uh, share the screen. All right, for sure. Picture so we can see you. So this is uh-huh. the uh, Gen Trilogy book, and um, this is something that I created just a little over a year ago now at this point. But it's it's a book of all of my projects, so I, of my first three projects, Gen Genesis, Gen 2, and Gen 3. 
And what it is is just a um, sort of like a uh, expose of, um, you know, just showing some really beautiful Genesis large size, you know, in a, in a print publication that you can share with your friends and whatnot and kind of help them understand what what these projects are in a physical form. But what's cool about it is it includes every single mint in the entire project. So there's like sort of thumbnails and it shows, um, you know, like who minted it, uh, what time exactly it was minted, what all the, the features are. These commercially available? So these are actually, uh, these are gifts that I have been giving out to collectors of my work. Super uh, dope. So if you own a Genesis, a Gen 2 or Gen 3, you know, there's a form on my Twitter profile. You can just go on there and, um, you know, and I'll ship it out to you. The only thing, you know, you pay shipping, but it's, uh, it's been great. I've been literally shipping like three to five of these per week for the last year. So there's, yeah. So it's, it's, that goes back to, you know, to come full circle is, you know, the, the physical nature of this. I mean, there's a couple artists out there that once you're kind of get behind the curtains and you, they, you do these little things for the the collector community you know i think it's absolutely brilliant creates a, a connection to to the pieces probably why these things are have a damn 10 ETH floor is because everybody you, everybody gets a book and doesn't want to sell it yeah you started giving out the books and that just just took off yeah. <laughs> i might have to buy a, a gen 3 my favorite one is unconfirmed nft greedy dude right now so <laughs> well you know with, with fake it till you make it really start starting to catch some attention i'm like this is i, I know the, the words are not the same and the project's not the same but yeah, I'm like this. Yeah, it's, it's a different type of project. Well, uh, we could probably say that for another time because we're running. But out yeah, of time let, right let, now. let's say that for yeah. part two because I I want to get you out of here on a, at a reasonable time. Cool. And uh, I know you just woke up and you start getting working. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for people listening, it, it's about three in the afternoon. Daniel did not just wake up. <laughs> it's the artist's life. I know. It, it, one thing that I've noticed, and I wanted to ask you uh, like a lot of folks in this space are collectors as well not just artists and they kind of wear both hats where do you fall on that spectrum do you collect a lot and, and if so what kind of things do you like to collect i do a little bit of collecting i don't do a lot of it the reason is because you know I, i'm i'm good at creating ideas and creating like you know visual things i'm not really good you know handling financial things you know, i didn't go to finance school I, I, the word profit or, or money was not mentioned once throughout my seven-year educational program, right? Like they don't teach this kind of stuff in art school. So I'm more comfortable behind the computer and just making art. And I, when I can collect, I will collect. And sometimes I end up just buying things at unreasonable prices because, um, you know, I'm just not like the most savvy financial trader or uh, whatnot, right? So like I, I don't collect a and also Dutch auctions like terrify me. <laughs> so, so I, I get what I can when I can, when I'm like super compelled to do it. I also want to support like artists that I'm friends with and, and people that I think are like up and coming and whatnot. Like there's a lot of people that I really appreciate and I want their work and I want to own a piece of it and just have it forever. I don't necessarily do it for like the, you know, the flip or whatever. But there's been occasions where I have, you know, I've, 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 I've fallen into a good windfalls where I've maybe minted something and it, it, it gained extreme, you know, value and, and then I might be compelled to sell it. And I, and I have a couple of times, you know, just because why not? Right. Like it's part of the fun. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I totally hear you on that. 
And we try to collect for the longer term as well. I'm curious, what kind of things do you like that you buy that you have zero interest in selling? I guess okay, oh, fine. Good. Maybe yeah. if it ends up being worth a billion dollars, you would sell it. But, you know, <laughs> like assuming that you're like, yeah, I want to hold this. I want, I wish I could have each of Casey Race's projects. I love his work. I feel like it just speaks straight to the heart of the artist. It, there's, a, there's a purity to them. I am a big fan of Alex from Generative Arts. He has a project coming up in Plottables uh, in a couple days, and I'm terrified that I'm not going to get one because there's only 50. But I love his work. I love what he's doing. And there's uh, just a couple other artists out there. You know, obviously, I'm a huge fan of uh, Harvey uh, uh, Pattern.co in Fontana. You know, I'm on the curation board. And so I see a lot of projects and, and I vote on them and, and whatnot. And um, I can just say for certain when I saw Fontana, I thought, holy shit, this is a beautiful project. Uh, Max, I, I have Max Payne. I never bought one. Everyone's been telling us about it for, I don't know, four months. And I still, yeah, that's that's a whole, that's a collector pain there. Yeah, that that's a that was a cool project. And then also, you know, just Bright Moments Mexico City was a huge opportunity for me to collect works from each of the artists there. And so just knowing that I have a work by Anna Lucia and, and um, Zach Lieberman and Iskra, that, that to me is like so valuable. Like, you know, those are things I'll never, ever sell. Like they're part of my that experience and, and connecting with artists in a unique way. I don't care what they're worth, right? Like they'll, they'll I'll never sell them. And, and like, you know, there's, I, th I want more of that kind of experience. I want, I want to, um, you know, like if I do collect more, like I want it to be like special and it's because I'm bonding with these people or I'm supporting them. And so that's the kind of, you know, collectorship I've, I've done in the past. You know, like I, I, I love Jeff Davis's pieces. You know, I have, I'm actually kind of looking for a construction token right now. So I, I do have a, a, a Fontana and I'm trying to, <laughs> this might not be the best deal terms, terms of a deal, but I might be willing to trade a Fontana for a um, for a construction token. Uh, you know, things like first, that. man. Here's your way to get a Fontana, people. I know, but you know, like it, it just things like that. I, I'm in it for the fun, you know. I'm not in it for like the the flipping. So yeah, that, that's my collecting experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, may, maybe I can uh, ask you just one more question, and, and we can elaborate on this in the future. But you, you mentioned being on the curation board so that's evolved is there any like anything you want to say about the future of gen art based on what you've been seeing over the past let's call it year or two like seeing what's coming through the curation board well the the bar just keeps getting higher i think like when a really good project comes through you know you can just feel it like you want to see more good projects and there's a lot of projects com that come through some of them are incredible and they don't make curated some of them are like kind of, from my perspective, you know, they're incredible, but they don't make trade. Some of them are curated, but maybe I'm like, well, I don't really like that project too much, right? But that's the beauty of it. It's like the curation board is literally like tons of people from completely different backgrounds. They have totally different perspectives. And so when they all align, something magical is about to happen. When there's kind of ifs and maybes and whatnot, then there's some really interesting things happening. But that's the cool part about it is that like 
good stuff comes through and you never know if it's going to be voted on in the way that I, you know, that I want it to, to be voted on. Love to be a fly on the wall just for some of these conversations, man. The, the curation board that Artblocks has put together is so dynamic and from such different walks of life. And I mean, that as a yeah. compliment. I, I, oh, yeah. Most recent board got announced, my jaw dropped. And then obviously being tied to Von Mises and him sitting on the board, it's just, I have nothing but admiration. I don't know how. Uh, well, I do know how probably how everybody gets there, but you know the the love for art blocks and and what you guys are doing is is insane. But to sit there and just listen, I'd love to like just be a fly on the wall one day because that that conversation's got to be absolutely like bananas. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's been some good conversations. A lot of what we do is typed out, like in um, you know, like in forms and whatnot, and and. You know, every single project that comes through gets like a paragraph written by each one of us, you know, and so there's a lot of writing involved and a lot of like trying to find the words to express how you feel about this thing. Right. So it's it's definitely a really crazy experience and it's fun. And um, and it's just like I'm honored to be on a curation board with like such like, you know, incredible like art historians and collectors and whatnot. So, yeah, it's definitely a cool, cool part of maybe in the future yeah. you just like send an nft as your response instead of the paragraph you'd be like this this one represents how i feel about it yeah that would be really cool there's <laughs> enough work out there to probably do that you know yeah yeah no i was gonna say when the stars align please dm us um, <laughs> although I, i'm sure you guys have a whole bunch of confidentiality and, and yeah definitely we go through we, for all that yeah we we can't like really talk about much you know because i i mean there's not really a lot of rules that are uh, explicitly stated by our blocks, but like we know that anything we say could easily be taken out of context and you know cause some kind of panic or uh, you know activity that might not be what we want to induce you know publicly. So yeah, but, no, I I hear you, and the space is is crazy, and there's so much money flying around that it it can be uh, potentially harmful. So uh, obviously, just joking, but I am jealous, mostly just to have that experience of like, whoa, everyone, like, this is something special. And and being able to see it in a way that is, is I think, harder for the general public. You just kind of see the price action. Like, is this a pump and dump or what's going on? But, um, you know, this is why we, we have this podcast and we chat with folks and have these various communities. So, yeah, I, I want to get, get you out of here on time. Jared, do you, do you have any final questions or anything for Daniel? No questions. Just uh, appreciate your time, man. I, I'm absolutely at a loss of words for the amount of attention and thought that you've put into your work and what output just comes as a somewhat seamless, frictionless and beautiful uh, to hear the the depth and breadth of thought that went into it. Uh, I'm absolutely honored to be alongside UNP in order to have the opportunity to share this with everybody. Very humbled, very grateful for your attention and, you know, the the devotion to go all in on this. It shows through your work and I'm a, a, an eternal fanboy now because you're the depth of thought and, and the artistic nuances that you've brought to it are absolutely incredible. So. Thank you for sharing and, and being so open and vulnerable with, with your approach. Thank you. I'm humbled, yeah. but I, I just, I'm just so happy that this is all happening and that I have this opportunity to be an artist right now in this way. I mean, it's just the best, the best, you know, like I, I'm so happy 
just living this life and and doing all this stuff. It's it's just so it's such a, such a joy, you know. Like it's just such a joy to be able to make art and and have it be meaningful in some kind of way, and and um, just to be able to participate as an artist, like as a voice that creates creates content, you know. And it's it's really special. So I really appreciate that. And um, well, thank you. Yeah, and you know, beyond that, you are. You know, you're you're a leader in this space, and I know that for some, maybe it it wasn't planned, uh, but I think people really look up to you. And a lot of, in addition to helping build this space, and and I know you said it before, like Eric mostly did it. You were the artist, but but you were there, and like the team always matters. And having a group with you, it's really important. So I appreciate everything that you've done for the space, and and continue to push that culture. I think that. Um, one thing that you'll continue to be able to influence is is the way that people interact with each other in this generative art world. And you can shape that in the direction that you think it should be, which is really exciting. Any uh, parting thoughts or words for the audience? Um, <laughs> if you don't have any, it's okay. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Well, just, uh, you know, like if you're an artist out there, like just, you know, uh, it's a good time to be an artist and put your best work out there. And I would love to connect with more artists. And, uh, you know, I'm always, I'm always happy to share any of my, you know, either gained experience or code tricks or color tricks or whatever, you know, like I'm, treat me like an open book and you can get any kind of info out of me you want in that regard. So if anybody out there is an artist listening, you know, by all means, like I'd love to connect and, and whatnot. And, and and just you you guys, thanks for having me. Like it's a total honor to be on a podcast like this. And um, you know, like it just shows like the power of of connecting with people at events. Like I met you in Bright Moments, Mexico, right? And we just had like a casual conversation. I'm like telling me about the the podcast. I'm like that sounds so cool, you know. And then here we are, like actually doing it. So like it's just such a just such a cool experience. Like how this is all coming together and, and moments like this, um, you know. But yeah, just thanks for having me on here. Yeah, yeah. Thank look, thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you and just be like, oh yeah, he's just like a normal dude. We can just just talk about stuff. And it, it, you know, I think sometimes these in real life events help take the veil off of what in our space tends to be like. I don't like to use the word, but it does. Like sometimes it's a bit of a hierarchy. It's like, oh wow, there's that like that famous artist. Uh, and I think most people don't feel that way when they meet in person and. That's fantastic. And I will I will say you you mentioned briefly when we met that hey, maybe we'll have an artist retreat and we could use like some press or a podcast there. So I'm <laughs> yeah. just, just putting it out there. I'm still awesome. I'm still open for that. Still awesome. open for that. And uh but it obviously zero yeah, expectations. Tell us the time and the place yeah. and we'll be there. We'll bring mics and a full setup, whatever <laughs> you need. Jared will skip any birthday to be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome um, deal. Yeah, awesome. Well, we got to do a round two. You, there's more to talk about and more awesome collections you have. Uh, but for now, where is the best place for people to find you? Find me on Twitter or in Discord. You know, those are where I hang out every day. And that's just, you know, that's those are my main channels of communication. You know, I post on Instagram, just random stuff here and there. But it's like not really like the right environment for like sharing this kind of work and Twitter is where it's at. Just DM me on there. If you're on Discord, you can send me a friend request or just post to my channel and I'll you know, reach out to you or whatever. And you can just chat about anything, anytime. Perfect. So we will put those in the show notes and we have linked to everything else, including a nature article on the 137.5 degrees golden angle awesome. for plants. 
So have that verified there. You you hit it right on the nail on the head. And yes, for everybody tuning in, thanks for listening. Uh, thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us. Like we, we had an amazing time. Honestly, we probably could talk more for like another hour, but I, I, I want to be respectful of your time and love to see you again. Hopefully, uh, we for sure we, we can figure out a time. We will and, definitely connect again. Yeah. So yeah, we're at collectors underscore XYZ for everyone listening. Thanks for tuning in and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you like this episode and want to help us out, please subscribe and leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on YouTube. Please also follow us on Twitter for announcements as we expand to other social and content platforms. Our Twitter handle is at collectors underscore XYZ. We'd also love to hear any feedback you have. So please comment or reach out. We're always striving to be more useful and get better so we can help you in your collecting journey. The Collector's Corner team and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.